everybody, Bonnie Bernstein back with another edition of the NCAA Title IX College Sports Conversations. I am so excited to have Angela Marine with us today. She is the athletics director at UT Dallas and Division III's first ever female Hispanic athletics director, which really isn't a surprise, I don't think, to those of us in the know in athletic circles, because Angela has been a shining byproduct of several of the NCAA's leadership development programs, which we're going to dive into. And she was also back in 2017 named the top emerging athletic director in all of Division Three. Angela, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to be with us. It's interesting all of our guests here, you're the first one who actually did not compete in college athletics. Obviously, that has nothing to do with your passion for college athletics. So where did you first develop your love for sports? Yeah, my dad, that came from my family, highly competitive family. I grew up playing sports. But when you know, when I was a kid, there were no female teams. So my first experience playing basketball was with a boys team and I was eight, nine years old playing with all little boys and I was terrified, but my dad was like, just try it out. If you, if you hate it, you can leave, but let's just go to practice and see what happens. And that was a start. I, I never left. I competed with boys until girls teams came along and it was a great experience, but also a great learning lesson for me from such a young age. Well, reflecting back, now considering the post you're currently in, how much do you think that early experience not having access to girls sports may have influenced the career track you decided to pursue? Absolutely. It was something that was, you know, when you're a young kid, you don't know any better. You don't know any different. And so I wish I could have told you, Bonnie, that I was smart enough to be like, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't right. But it was much later in life that I realized that opportunities that I didn't have and that I didn't want my younger sister or my nieces to experience. So it absolutely had this just kind of nagging feeling that this needs to be better and we need to be better. You wound up deciding to go to Texas A&M and in Aggieland, you got your first taste of college athletics. Um, as a student manager for the basketball team. Fast forward to when you started working out of college and you went from the men's basketball team to running operations for women's basketball at the University of New Orleans. And I'm curious how those experiences compared specifically about resources that the men's team may have had versus the women's team. Well, at a you know, it's not fair to compare Power Five. You know, we we're in the Big 12 okay. at the time. So that, that's not a reasonable expectation. But when I went to the University of New Orleans, we moved there post-Katrina. And mm-hmm. so the resources and the experience I had was very unique in that they had lost the majority of their student population. Um, no one has had yet moved back to the city. And we had to compete under very, very limited resources. And so looking at both the men and and women's teams, it was more of an experience of, we just went through a natural disaster together. How do we rebound and how do we provide the best college experience we can for our student athletes under the current climate that we we had? And so that was more of a, I learned to be very resourceful in New Orleans, but I also learned how to hustle. And those are really 
great learning lessons as an early, earlier in my career that I have definitely um, benefited from in my current post. So I don't know if there's a, a way to kind of explain that more in more detail, but it was a very unique situation uh, going through a natural disaster and not having resources and having to do the best that you could. Well, there are so many in athletics administration who had to go through Katrina in that area and have also had to endure a pandemic. How did going through the hurricane experience help you frame your mindset about helping student athletes navigate the pandemic when you were, when um, this was earlier in your career at UT Dallas? Yeah, we learned early on through that hurricane, who better to go through something difficult and together than athletics? Because we, our bond, our, our strength is in our numbers and is in our community. And that's definitely something I carried over into the pandemic era where we didn't see each other. We were separated physically. And I had to remember that lesson is like our bond and our strength is in community. And so I fought really hard to provide that community through a pandemic and when we were separated, because that's the lesson I learned through going through the hurricane is that we can never lose that part of us. That's what makes us strong. That's what makes us resilient. You mentioned earlier that you didn't really have the seminal moment about you wanting to go into athletics on the administrative side to a little bit later. Do you remember what that moment was, what the actual catalyst where the light bulb went on and said, this is the track I want to be on? It was in that basketball office as a student worker at A&M. Oh, really? I, I remember looking around. So it was later, right? Later in life. I, I was looking around one day and I said, people are getting paid to do this. This is a job. This is awesome. How do I, how do I make this my career? You know, I entered A&M pre-law. I wanted to be an attorney. And I remember calling my parents and saying, no, I am, I'm not going to be an attorney. I am going to work in college athletics. I don't How's know. That they, they were excited because they, they love sports. They're highly competitive. They love sports. They love A&M. So they're like, okay, yes, go do that. Uh, and I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't yet know all the, the positions that were out there outside of a men's basketball program, but I knew that this was going to be for the rest of my life. And I had to figure out how to do that. Well, I'm really glad I have the chance to talk to you because for as long as I've been around college athletics stemming to back when I did gymnastics at Maryland, I'm actually not that familiar with some of the executive leadership programs that are in place, both for the NCAA and Women's Leaders in College Sports, formerly NACWA. You've been through programs through both of those organizations. Can you talk a little bit about those experiences and, and maybe bullet point a few things that were extremely valuable and sort of equipping you to rise up the ladder? Those programs are transformational in my career, 100%, both NCAA and Women Leaders because of the opportunities and because of the situations they put you in, right? We had to learn how to do interviews. We had to learn how to problem solve. They put us in front of cameras. They put us in very uncomfortable situations with budgets or personnel. And so when I stepped into the athletic director role, I, was, I felt as prepared as I possibly could be because I've already done the work for the past 10 years, right? It's an accumulation of everything that I've done. And so when the NCAA 
offers these opportunities, I applied for everything. And there wasn't anything that I wasn't going to take advantage of, especially knowing that I'm already coming from a disadvantaged perspective, being a female, being a female of color, that there was, if I was going to apply for a job, it wasn't because I wasn't going to get it because I was lacking in skill. And I was determined to do that. Where would you consider your greatest learning curve from the time you were involved in those programs to where you are now? Where, where during those programs where you're like, wow, <laughs> I've got some work to do here. Yeah, so the Dr. Charles Litcomb uh, Institute through the NCAA, I think was the most intense program that, that we were put through because they challenged us in every area that we would face in as a, as a future athletic director. And there were times in that, in those moments where I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is way beyond my skill set. This is way beyond what I think I can do. But it's because of that community we built in those, in those meetings, in those sessions, in those seminars, that's like, yes, I can. Give me an example of that. Give me a scenario where you felt yourself truly doubting, okay, can I, can I do this? There was a budget exercise and we were forced to cut, you know, $10 million from our athletic budget. And there was no other option. That was our number. And they had said, okay, how are you going to do it? Here's your budget. Here's your personnel. And we went through hours and hours and late nights trying to figure out a way to not cut positions. And we couldn't get there. We had to cut positions. And as I don't want to do this job. If I have to fire people, this is awful. I can't do that. I'm not an aggressive person by nature. I'm not a mean person by nature. How did that experience prepare you for what you had to deal with during the pandemic? I'd already done it. I'd already done it. And that's why these programs are are so important because you've already done it. It's not new to you. And so that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of dread was not new. I had already had that experience, although it wasn't a real life experience, it was real to me in that moment. And I, that's why this program is so valuable, Bonnie, honestly, there's nothing in this position that I have had to do that I haven't already done. And there is power in that. And there is experience in that. And there's motivation to know that I've already done it and that I can do it. For women who want to follow in your footsteps and take advantage of those programs, how would you recommend they prepare? Take advantage of opportunities. That's what Title IX gives us is opportunities. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid of failure or rejection. I think that's something that's always pushed me forward is that you can tell me no 99 times and I'm going to ask 100. And there, but there's fear in that, especially as females, especially as young females, that there's fear in being rejected. There's fear of being telling no, so I'm not going to do it. And you can't, you can't live life that way. And you can't pursue a career that way. You know, all those NCAA and women leaders, I applied multiple times in some cases before I got it, but I was going to apply every year until they let me in. So I wasn't going away. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Angela, you know about the challenges of DEI as well as anybody, just based on the color of your skin. How has your personal experience and the somewhat unique lens through which you see athletics 
influence the way you approach your role as a director of athletics? So Bonnie, I grew up in the Southwest side of San Antonio, which wasn't the best side of town to grow up on. And the people around me were mostly in manual labor professions. And so college wasn't really something that was known or available to me at a young age. And it wasn't until I moved to Plano, Texas, uh, when I was nine years old, that this idea of college was, was something that was introduced. And my friend's parents went there, my teachers went there, and it was a place that I had to figure out how to get to, too. And so my perspective and my lens is really through a higher education lens, because attending a and and earning my college degrees truly, truly changed the trajectory of my life. And so that is where my passion comes from, is I am leading young people who are attending higher education, and they're going to earn something that no one's ever going to be able to take away from them. And they're going to earn something that they're going to be able to provide for their family for years to come. So when I talk about athletics and talk about opportunities and, and talk about passion, it's really in higher education. And athletics is a component of that because athletics is something that is just, our, our kids do it because they love it. And it's, it's the truly holistic model of, of higher education and athletics and in division three. And that's something that I'm proud of. And that's something that I'm proud that we offer but it, it, there's real power in that, in those opportunities. And leading a department is something that I am very proud to do, but to understand that we all have our challenges and we all have our own experiences and bringing them to the table is important, but allowing our young people to learn from me and, and learn from our other administrators is also important um, so that they understand where we come from and the perspective that we bring. What do you think you can teach them that most, most ADs can't? <laughs> to not give up. I, I was told no so many times, so many times in, in my career, and yet I'm still here. And also to not put your calendar against someone else's. Because if I was comparing myself to my colleagues, to my friends, even though I'm still young in my career, I would be considered a late bloomer because all of my friends were already ADs or, or commissioners, and I was still trying to buy my time and trying to still learn my craft. And so don't compare yourself to others. It doesn't matter what other timeline others are on. This is your journey. It matters to you. And to just resilience. It doesn't matter what people think of you. Someone's opinion is none of your business. You just keep doing you. There is a sisterhood. There's a sisterhood in my side of the industry and in broadcast. There's a sisterhood in your area of the industry. Your sisterhood's small. Even though there are more ADs who are female than ever, it's still a pretty small percentage. Who are your champions and the women in the administration space who have lifted you up and provided a guidance and sometimes provided the shoulder that you've needed? Yeah, so my my tribe does include some males too, and I, I do want to be Great clear point. about that too. Yep. So my my first advocate was Buzz Williams. He's currently the the men's basketball coach at A and M, but he was the assistant when I was there. So I've known Buzz a very long time. He was the first one that said, "I don't 
care what you look like. I just wanna know that you work hard and that you're a good person. Great lesson to learn in college. Um, my former AD, Bill Pettit, he championed me my entire career while at UT Dallas, knowing that I wanted his job. That's a hard place to be, but he never backed away from it. He's like, what do you need to learn so that when it's your turn, you're ready? I have a strong cohort of current ADs in the field that I call and lean on all the time uh, that I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, but Amy Champion, I do want to bring her attention. She was my AD at the University of New Orleans. She was also the women's basketball coach. And she was the very first female that I knew that was an athletic director. And she, when she got that role, it was the first time I looked at her and said, I can do that job. And that was powerful for me because I'd never seen another female AD before Amy. So she opened that door. AM opened my door to college athletics. Amy opened the door for me to become an AD one day. What's the best piece of advice she's given you? Oh my goodness. I don't know what's appropriate for television. <laughs> I just pick one. <laughs> you know, she, she looked at me when I told her, you know, further down in my career, when I started to look at, at AD roles and, and really become serious about it, I called her and she said, you can do it. Don't doubt yourself. Self-doubt is so strong in females, I believe, more so than males. And I've seen it in my, in my own college students and I've seen it in our staff. Self-doubt is strong and you have to be able to put that away. And so she really just kind of talked me through putting that away and saying, you can do this. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, you can do this and to believe it. And that was something that confidence is something that she gave me and that she taught me along the way. When you were talking about the passion you have for working with student athletes a couple of minutes ago, it dawned on me that paragraph of your resume makes sense. I love how involved you are with student athlete advisory committee, not just at UTD as the program sponsor, but also helping the American Southwest conferences, putting their annual conference together for SAC, student athletes involvement in going to convention and participating in that national SAC meeting. Because of that, you have an eye on these student athletes and their abilities beyond the field of play that a lot of people don't. How would you describe that? We love them. <laughs> They really are our, our kids. And we use that term as a term of endearment because we were around them more than their families, you know, during the school year. They are why we are here. And I remind my staff and coaches all the time that the decisions I make are going to be based on them, that we are here on their behalf, not at their expense. And that is something that I think gets lost sometimes in college athletics is, is the why. And so we empower young people, we engage with them, um, we elevate them and we love them. And our student athletes know that we hold them accountable, which is a hard lesson to learn as a young college student, but they know that they're supported and they're supported in ways that have nothing to do with their athletic ability or skill. And that's important uh, for UT Dallas and for me. What examples can you cite that shine a light on how the modern day student athlete is using his voice, is using her voice in a different way than the student athletes you were around 
when you were in college at A&M? They're not shy to tell you what they're thinking <laughs> or how they feel. And they're not shy to come in my door and say, this is what I need, Angela. This is what I need. And this is what I'm not getting. I look back, I would have never have done that. I've never walked in the AD office at A&M and said, I need this. This is important to me. I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that bravery, um, but I didn't have that empowerment either. And so that's what I think is the, the difference is that our kids are empowered and we empower them to use their voice and to not be silent if something is wrong, if they're unhappy about something. That's the biggest difference in, in this cohort of student athletes is they will tell you about their experience and both good and bad. They'll tell you that they love it and they'll tell you where we're, where we're lacking. And that's not a bad thing. How's that been most productive? In getting their perspective, right? I think so few often we ask them, how is it going in the terms of their college experience? We ask them, how's class? How's your family? How's your boyfriend or girlfriend? How's your partner? How's your dog? But we ask them, how is your experience? How can we be better? And we can only grow from that. I don't ever want to shy away from the truth. And so if our kids are speaking the truth, then I want to hear it. Is there an example of change that has come from those conversations around student athletes who are emboldened in a way that they weren't a couple of generations ago? Yeah, when it comes to their travel or their food and nutrition, you know, when it, you know, that we talk about so much about nutrition, it's important what you put in your body and then we go and eat pizza after a game. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? Story thing yes. that that's more for convenience than nutrition, but they have a great point. It's like this, if you're, if you're telling me that what I put in my body is important, then you can't be feeding me pizza after a game. Got it. Makes sense, right? Yeah. We thinking in those terms, but clear as day. So now if they're healthier post-game meals now? Now they're healthier. They are. And that benefits everybody. I have to ask you about esports because UT Dallas is one of a, a small group of schools across the country that have esports as part of the athletics program. Uh, do you guys have scholarships? I know lots of schools do. I, I didn't ask before we started if, if you do. Do you okay. offer esports scholarships? Yes. And what are the titles where UT Dallas is most successful? So we are a two-time national champion in Super Smash Brothers. And we've only had the program four years. And one of these years was COVID. Uh, so I would say Super Smash is our most prominent sports or game. Uh, but we host um, Rocket League, Valorant. We just added Valorant this year. And so we host multiple games. But Smash is our, is our most prominent. Even though esports doesn't fall under the NCAA umbrella per se, esports are still being played on your campus, which means it is subject to Title IX. How is that part of the conversation around the gamers and the people involved with the esports program? Yeah, we just hired our new coach uh, this past year. And when I was doing interviews, you know, I was very adamant about exposing females to esports. Esport is still a male dominated industry across the board from the collegiate to the professional level. And, you know, we're a STEM school. Esports made a perfect sense when adding it to our programs because the type of student that attends UT Dallas 
it was a natural fit and has been really welcomed among our community, which was really great to see. But understanding that this is not going to be sports that is dominated by males, that we have to offer opportunities to females in not only our competition space, but in our spaces of, of analytics, of analysis, of content creation, to make sure females are involved across all realms of what esports encompasses. And I think we've done a great job. We do have uh, women on our competitive teams, but we also have them involved in every aspect of, of the game. To, not surprising to you, there's still a, a fairly vast discussion as to whether we consider esports a sport. It's not a sport. I'm going to think that you lean toward it does because it's part of your athletics program. Why do you lean toward the yes there? Going back to our conversation about our student athletes and advocating for themselves, we added esports in athletics because of our student athletes, because of our traditional student athletes. It was their idea. Really? They wanted it. They believed it would be a great fit for us. I was one of the last people on board to be completely transparent and honest about adding esports to athletics. But it really was our own student athletes who said, this is where it belongs and this is where it should go. And I, I remember that, that we were at the NCAA tournament sitting around a, a table and we had this discussion and I was like, okay, I'm on board, let's do it. So it came from them. Another example of listening to our student athletes, it came from them and it's worked out great for us. Angela, you are such a shining example of the possible in athletics and we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX. When you think about the passion for sports you developed as a child, your career track, where you are now, and what you've accomplished, how would you describe the role that Title IX has played in your life and your career? Uh, if I get emotional, just cut it out, please. <laughs> Not cutting it out, sorry. <laughs> you know, when I look back as to where I you know, I come from and I have a, an amazing family and I am grateful for, for everything that they have provided me. But the, that little girl from Southwest San Antonio has no right leading an athletic department like UT Dallas. And that wasn't even a goal or a dream in my head. It wasn't even a possibility. And what Title IX provides is opportunities and open that door so that people before me could open it a little bit more. And when my time came, you know, I had seen someone else do it and I had received the training I needed to be really good at it. And I am really good at it. I'm really good at what I do. And it's, but that's not, that's not an accident. That is because of what the opportunities I've been given and the opportunities that I take, took advantage of. And so Title IX changed the course of, of my life as, as well as higher education. And I couldn't be more grateful, um, but it was a dream I didn't even have for myself. Well, I have news for you. You had the right, <laughs> you dreamed a dream and we are all watching it come true. Thank you for being such an inspiration, Angela. Appreciate your time. And thanks to all of you who joined us for the latest edition of the NCAA Title IX College Sports Conversations. You can find all of our episodes on the NCAA's YouTube channel and across their social platforms. See you again next time.